I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wheelhouse DNA. The grief, it kind of can fester and grow into something. Resentment, frustration, anger, like self-loathing. So the more I cry about this and have these conversations with you, I feel like I'm freeing up space in myself for joy. So I feel like you can't have joy without the sadness. They don't exist without. So when I get to feel this deep, deep sadness that you and I are going through right now together, it also increases my capacity for like ecstatic joy. From Wheelhouse DNA and Acast, this is Comfort Food, a show about life, loss, grief, celebration, and the meals that support us through it all. I'm your host, Kelly Rizzo. My guest today is no stranger to death and grief. She's an actress, a singer-songwriter, a TV host, and an incredible podcast host. She created the podcast Dying for Sex about the final years of her best friend Molly's struggle with cancer, as well as near death, which explores the stories of a hospital chaplain whose job is to guide terminal patients through the death process. Heavy stuff to say the least. But Nikki is an absolute ball of light and I was so excited to talk to her about her experiences and perspective. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Nikki Boyer. Well, Nikki Boyer, welcome to Comfort Food. Thank you so much for being here. I, I, I seriously couldn't get here fast enough. I'm so happy to be here. I already love you, and I just met you. I like, you're, we're in, we're doing well, this. Well, we know why. It's because well, yeah. we're both from the Midwest. Yes, exactly. So that was the connection immediately. And we're both Sicilian, which yeah. we just found out. Right. So a lot of, I know. Uh, a lot of background there. But you know what? Your voice is already so comforting because oh. I've listened now to Dying for Sex, your podcast that is just so clever, so brilliant, so heart-wrenching, yet heartwarming at the same time. Thank you. And your voice on that is just so beautiful and soothing. And so now to have you sitting here, I'm like, oh, I get to hear this voice again. This is so lovely. That's so nice. Thank you. Growing up, I would have never thought that um, my voice would be soothing to anyone because everyone's always trying to get me to shut up. (laughs) All I did was talk. Well, so it's nice to hear. (laughs) Well, I'm just so thrilled to have you talk about, well, not only the Dying for Sex podcast, but the Near Death podcast as well, because, you know, what I've learned over the past almost two years now since, you know, since my late husband passed was that death is not something that people are very comfortable talking about. Yeah, It's still in just grief in general is kind of a taboo subject, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this, to make it a little bit more palatable, um, make it a little bit more accessible, not as heavy. And that's what I loved about dying for sex. Not only is the name... You know, right. a little a little tongue in cheek, but you know, you're talking to your friend mm-hmm. who is dying of cancer, and you guys are laughing through the whole thing, <laughs> and it's just brilliant. Please explain to me Aww. just the concept behind it and how you came up with it. 
Well, I love you for asking because anytime I get to talk about her, which is part of grief, like people sometimes are afraid to ask us about our loved ones that have passed, but it's my favorite thing to talk about. Absolutely. So when I meet you, the first thing I want to say is who's died in your life? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that person, right? (laughs) So thank you for bringing me here today because now we get to do this, right? So when, um, when Molly was diagnosed as terminal, which I hate to even say that, but that's the fact, um, she had moved out of her apartment, um, with her husband and moved into a little place near me and we would go run errands together. She was always going to chemo. We were, you know, I'd go to auditions and she'd come with me and then we'd hit the hospital. We'd go to Trader Joe's and we'd just be together. And she told me she was having this really adventurous sex life because it's something that she just didn't do in her youth. And she wanted to have a lot of sex before she died. Right. She was just really honest about it. Like I want to have an active sex life. And one day in the car, we were sitting right by the Trader Joe's near Hazeltine and uh, Ventura Boulevard in the Valley. And I was like, I think there's something here. I think there's a show here or something. And it's called Dying for Sex. And she was like, let's do it. So this was like in 2016 and we started working on it. And it was the first time we'd ever had a project that we could work on together. And it was in tandem with her treatment and her process of, at the time, we didn't know she was dying. but you know, the process of her dying. And I got to be on that road with her. And it was, we had a really morbid relationship. We would say all the uncomfortable, weird things. We had inside jokes that were completely inappropriate. I would buy her a birthday gift and she'd say, you're going to get this back when I die. And I'd be like, what the fuck? So we just- God, it's so good though. We just, right, you know? so good. And um, and so I'm so grateful that now I still get to tell her story and that I allowed I allowed. Oh my God, that sounds so egocentric. I allowed. Like I created this dynamic where she and I could sit and record and we could do it together. Instead of me telling her story afterwards, I knew I wanted to do it in real time. So I didn't know what it was going to turn into, but I just knew we had to record. So yeah. Well, you brought up, you didn't say the word, but but gallows humor, which is so helpful. And people who don't get it, just don't get it. Unless you've gone through it right. and you realize that that really is so helpful to have somebody make that inappropriate joke, you know, because Bob, all he did, I mean, his entire career was right. inappropriate jokes. <laughs> and because he had lost so many people in his life, and, and even when he was a child, his dad had lost so many people. I think he lost like four brothers before oh, so Bob had lost all of his uncles, uncles to very wow. young ages to all heart attacks. And so his dad had developed gallows humor, which then kind of trickled down to Bob. Right. And then Bob used it his whole career. And so I was always getting that firsthand from him. And then when he passed, mm. some of these jokes and Do you remember the, any the, of them? Oh my God. There's so know. there's just so many. But like, but now it's more I can hear in a certain situation this like an inappropriate joke come out of my mouth that I'm like, oh my God. And people look at me like, what? Yeah. You know, if it gave me one little second of levity, right. like day, like actually within a couple hours of Bob passing, it hit, you know, it was all over the media and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Yeah. And I remember reading some of these headlines because it was just inundating. And I remember it says, you know, Bob Saget like passed away, you know, at uh, at the Ritz Carlton in Orlando. And I remember looking at Jeff Ross, you know, a comedian, one of Bob's best friends who was yeah. at my house. And I look at him, I go, 
God, at least they said it was the Ritz-Carlton. Bob would want everyone to know it was at the Ritz-Carlton. And I was like, did they say it was a suite? They better say it was a suite. He's going to want everyone to know it was a suite. You know? And and that was the worst day of my life. But I was still able to, you know, say something that I know Bob would have, he would have said or would have wanted me to say. Oh, he was probably so proud of you in that moment. He's like, yeah, get it, girl. Yeah. No, he was looking, he's like, make sure they know it's a suite. Call the publicist, you know? You know, I think if we, it, we want to feel all the feelings and the grief is all consuming. Yeah. And if you can't let a little air out of the balloon, you're going to, you're going to lose it. You're going to pop. So I think I am all about making inappropriate jokes and laughing because it can't all be heavy because it will just, it will consume you and eat you up. So I love that you're like that. And I love, I love that you continue like Bob's kind of coming through you and making jokes and saying things. And I, yeah. you can be like, it wasn't me, it was Bob. Yeah. I didn't say that, yeah, Bob said it. I blame it all on him. <laughs> blame it on him. When you were doing the podcast, so now at what point did you know that it was terminal? Because you mm-hmm. said it was terminal, but then you're like, well, we didn't really know for sure right. that she was dying. So like, what was that timeline like? You know, it's so... um it's so different. Like when you lose someone suddenly, like you lost with Bob, you don't, uh, you don't get these, this preparation, these conversations. I got a lot of that with Molly. And I, I think one of my biggest fears is actually what you went through. And I want to talk about that later because I might need your help because I have, I like wake up in the middle of the night and put my hand over my husband's mouth and his nose to make sure he's breathing. Like that's how terrified I am about losing my partner. Um, But with Molly, I had a lot of time because when she was diagnosed as with the metastatic, means there's no cure. Like you can live three years, five years, 10 years. You don't know. So we knew she was quote unquote, not going to beat this. We just didn't know how long she had. But so she had a good, you know, it was 15, uh, 2015, like three years of, of going through treatments. And then, you know, she started getting really sick and in 2018 and she went into the hospital around November and she never left until she died in March. Is it accurate that she had this cancer for a long time before because it sounded like she had gone to get tested and, you know, she had felt something, but the doctors kind of brushed it off and they're like, no, yeah. it's it's nothing. Yeah, we were. Because we you're were, too young. Exactly. And so then it was a lot later that. Yeah, that she found out right. she had it. And it was, it was. You know, when she got it the first time, it was pretty intense. And she went through chemo and radiation and the double mastectomy, everything. And then she was in recovery and had a hip thing. Got yeah. it. Okay. So, so it was a long road, um, but we thought she was going to be okay. The point is it wasn't just nope. a three-year. No, it was a long time, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of time, but I don't think I realized she was dying until they basically said she's not leaving the hospital. She's not, there's no way she's going to be able to leave. And I was like, what? Your brain's like, wait, so wait, what? Like, she's going to live here? Like, that's what I thought. Like, she's going to well, She's just moving in. <laughs> yeah. Which, honestly, Molly would have been fine with that because she loved when people take care of, t- would take care of her. So she was, would have been great with that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think January, the year that she died, and she died in, in very beginning of March, I realized like, oh yeah, she's back. I'm watching my best friend die, like actively watching Die and she was 45, so she had a really healthy body. So it was taking a long time. But in that time, we had very uncomfortable conversations and very intense moments together and laughing. And she was also having, like, you know, men come visit her in the hospital. <laughs> she had the energy, she was figuring it out. I think she gave some guy a blowjob at the hospital. 
And what's so interesting is that's the other kind of taboo, uh, you know, subject just society and life is sex. And for you to take both of these and put it into one podcast and have the, you know, the star of the show is your best friend who is combining these two things, which is badass, which you don't nor, I mean, you don't normally think of, you don't normally do, but how you... And Molly both combine that, you know, yeah. into one podcast so seamlessly and brilliantly. Thank it's just you. so interesting. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was conversations I've never had with anybody ever before mm-hmm. because I've never known anyone sick. And I never knew anyone going through cancer that wanted to, like, have as much sex as possible. And I just, I mean, it, it wasn't that the idea was just sort of handed to me because it was what she was doing with her life. The idea to document it was... Just kind of selfish on my part because I'm like, oh, more time together and work on a project together. She always wanted to write a book or a TV series or she wanted to write. And I, um, this was her opportunity to kind of write her own story in real time with me and uh, so much fun. So now these stories, did you, being her best friend, did Mm -hmm. you know all or most of these stories beforehand or... Were there a lot of moments during the podcast where you're like, oh my God, what did you do? Right. So great question because I knew most of them because we talked like three times a day. But when we got in the studio, there were details that I was like, what? And I got a little judgy. I don't know. Like there were times where I was like, ew. And she was like, don't judge. You can't kink shame people. And I'm like, oh, we're going to call it that now. And she's right. like, yeah. <laughs> like she was getting very into that world where she was like, people? have trauma and sex can heal trauma and you can't judge people by, you know, what they choose to do in the bedroom. I'm like, yeah, but he's asking you to pee in his mouth. Like that is gross. <laughs> and she's like, well, for you, that might be gross. So, so I definitely learned details in the moment. And if you listen to the podcast, you can hear, you can hear a little bit of my judgment come through. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, listen, people have, people are screwed up. We all are screwed up and we're working through our lives and whatever we choose to find comfort as long as it's not harming other people, I'm like, you do you. But she did catch me off guard a couple of times. I was like, what? What did you just say? Bring that back. And so, yeah, she did some, she did some crazy shit. She knew all of my dark, dirty, nasty secrets too. I just don't go into mine on the podcast. (laughs) That's all for her. That's for her. You know, get right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, obviously, this podcast is called Comfort Food. So, I mean, I know we've already been, you know, laughing a lot and chuckling a lot here. But, you know, this is overall a topic that can be kind of dark, kind of sad, kind of a bummer. So, ultimately, we like to accompany these conversations with a comfort food that's going to help us through. And now your comfort food, tell us a little bit about it. And then in a minute or so here, we're going to have it brought out and it's going to, uh, we're going to be able to eat it. I'm so excited because I love to eat. Oh, right. I just love to eat. And I love a meal where you can talk about uncomfortable things and stuff your face. So this, when, when they asked me, they were like, would you be interested in doing the show? I was like, um, hello, first of all, getting to meet you is such a treat because I just love you. And I've known who you, it's weird to know someone before you meet them, but I know who you are. Well, is that creepy? Am I talking? No, I mean, that's (laughs) like, I know who you are. I followed your career. I think you're, it would be one thing if I uh, lived in like a sealed, you know, underground (laughs) safe for the last 10 years and nobody's ever met me or something. I'd be like, wait, I know, but I just, I just, um, isn't it weird when you meet somebody that you just don't have never met 
you know, you've never met her, even cross paths or even work together, but immediately I'm like, she's my people. <gasps> she's my people. Instantaneously, yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, I like oh, well, yeah. also, as I said, your voice is very comforting oh. to me. So, especially well, in the microphone, it right. sounds so good. Ooh, I can guide you. Oh, I can guide you on meditations to sleep <gasps> in person. Okay, now we're getting crazy. Right, well, but. <laughs> Already, I said your voice is so soothing. I'd love to stay awake for, especially if we're eating something yes. kind of heavy. Uh, let's not doze off just right. yet. But maybe I feel like if anyone's going to be that meditation guy, like your voice would be okay. amazing for. Them. I'll do it. I'll just whisper in your ear when you lay there at night. You're like, this is getting weird, Nikki. Okay, food is amazing. I love pasta because we're Italian. I was raised eating carbs. Um, I always laugh. I say, Little Debbie raised me, Little Debbie snack cakes and yeah, pasta. Same. Right? I, I had Little Debbie, every, Little Debbie and Lunchables. After school, every and, day. And my mom would give me a Diet Coke. Oh, God, right? Little Debbie's and Lunchables. It was like the most, un- like, how am I even alive? I know. Me too. What was your favorite Little? Do you remember the Little Debbie? I, I liked the um, the peanut butter and the wafer peanut butter like the long yes, sticks. Yes, what were those called? I don't remember oh, what they God, were called. I'm salivating. And then I like like the moon, like the moon or the star um, crunch yes, or something. Yes, it was oh like the rice, God. the rice crispy oh, so with the good. caramel covered in the chocolate. N- nutty, nutty bars, nutty bars, oh, nutty bars. The, 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 okay, <laughs> thank oh my God, you. This, okay, this smells like love. So oh, this is I love pasta, and I'm um, I'm a vegetarian. I've been one for six years, which is ironic because I'm from Missouri, so I ate meat all growing yeah. up. But this is just it's anything penne or rigatoni or like a tube noodle with sauce in it and cheese, vodka. I'm a fan of vodka sauce. I do love a cream mixed with a marinara. You really can't mess pasta up when eating and vodka sauce. And it makes sense why when you go to a funeral, you always bring a casserole. And this is a fancier casserole. Don't That's you think? a very good point. Uh-huh. Oh my God. It's so funny. I will say that so far, none of my guests have chosen crunchy foods, which I'm really glad for because... <laughs> like a taco. <laughs> right. I'm going to be really upset when somebody's like, crunchy tacos. I'll be like, oh no. It are, I already feel better. It's like warm in my belly. It's mm-hmm. delicious. We're both like stuffing our faces and not caring if there's food on our face. I like this. So, okay, you you did six episodes. How, what was the span of those six episodes? Oh gosh, that's, oh God, I haven't thought of that. So I would say... Probably about a year and a half, year and a half. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Because we started recording. You know what? No, Kelly. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because now it's <laughs> making me accountable. It was about it was it was about a year. We started recording. We went to the studio. We had this really fun time where we were just like talking about our all of our sexual escapades and all this fun stuff. Originally, we wanted this to be a weekly series where we just sort of talk about all the fun sex that she's having not realizing that she was about to take a turn for the worst. I okay. had no idea. But I do remember one on our last recording um, in the studio when we went in, she was um, not feeling well. And I have pictures from that day. And at the time I was like, oh, she'll be fine. Like she's just, she's just having a bad day, right? A low day. And um, that was probably one of her last quote unquote outings where she was able to like drive somewhere, show up, be available to have a conversation after that she got really really sick and um, her body was just shutting down the the cancer had spread everywhere and she didn't know it it was tiny little flecks that couldn't be um you know they couldn't they weren't showing up in x-rays but they showed up when when they went in to do a a minor surgery they said it's you're riddled with cancer um so once once i knew that she wasn't getting any better we then said or 
I said to her, are you willing to continue recording in the hospital? And she was so happy. So it gave her a purpose, gave her something to do. And she was sitting in that room in that bed by herself, morning, noon, and night, no TV. She never watched TV once in that four-month process. I was going to say, knowing, knowing, knowing how well I know Molly from listening <laughs> no, to a little that. bit, of, I was going to say, like, she'd, of course, be like, yeah, like, I want to do this yeah. as long as I can. She did, yeah. Walk us through those last few days in terms of tone. When you knew it got really bad, how did the tone change? Mm. She was, uh, you asked the best questions, by the way, like, because okay. I haven't thought about those last few. I mean, I, th- I thought about her passing. But those days prior to were so tender because we were still laughing, being super inappropriate. I'll never forget. It was like, I think maybe four or five days before she died. um, She was like, hey, so um, when I die, just make sure my mouth is closed, okay? Because I don't want to be that weird corpsey lady that's like, oh, dead. And I was like, okay, okay, definitely. I will make sure that. So we were having these morbid conversations, but still laughing through it. But knowing that instead of it being years away, it was weeks away. And um, my heart started to kind of crack open a little bit this, at this point because I knew what we were laughing about was around the corner. But it, there were tender, loving, deep conversations. I mean, like, she was telling me what she was seeing already on the other side. Wow. Experiences she was having in the room alone, what she was feeling. She was getting visitations from people on the other side and she felt like that, that, gap was closing between this world and wherever we go. And she was really against sedate. She didn't want to get sedated. She didn't want to not be participating in her own passing, but in order to pass pain-free, she needed to be sedated. And I remember um, when she got to the point where she was ready to be sedated, and that was kind of that almost death before the death moment, where she agreed to basically go unconscious and, and and not be present to have conversations. And that, I haven't thought about that in a really long time. And that was really intense because it was a, a pleading almost with her. Like, please, it's time, it's time. And she was so didn't want it and wasn't ready for it. And her mom was working on her and I was working on her. And I could tell she got to that point and she said, okay, I'm ready. But it had to be on her terms. Like she had to decide. And it was a Monday and it was a morning and they um, sedated her Later that evening and, and two days later she passed. But yeah. That's so interesting. Cause in my mind I'd be like, give me all the drugs. Yeah. Give me all the drugs, you know? But when it's literally life or death and you know you have X amount of time, you're like, no, I'd want to experience these last few days, even if it's with pain. Yeah. No. I love that you're asking. I haven't thought about that that part of the moment with her in quite a long time, but it was very um, it was, she was sucking as much life as she could out of her life in that moment, knowing that she was about to die. And it was just, it was really profound. And I'll never, um, I'll never forget that moment of her going under sedation. And I think people don't talk about this kind of stuff enough. And I think when you're lucky enough to be with someone and not lose someone suddenly or tragically, like you did, like you didn't get the goodbye moment. Did, did no. was there any sort of conversation ever about death before Bob died with you? No, just that he said he was never going to die. <laughs> so, I mean, wasn't an right. option, you know? So even though these are painful moments you're asking me to talk about, I find so much comfort in them because what a gift that I got to have that with her. Did you notice her being almost, like those last couple days even, was you're like, 
even though this was so sad and so depressing and so horrible, that she was, it was still beautiful in a way. And yes. she was almost like a heightened being. Oh my God. You, you were like, I, like, I, were you in the room? Because yes, I felt like she looked. Nikki, I <laughs> have something to tell you. Hi. <laughs> so I used to be a nurse and I was actually in the room. I felt like she had a, this weird glow about her and she looked so I kept saying, you're the most beautiful dying person I've ever seen because she was embracing every part of it. And she was very vain. Like she always wanted to look pretty. She always had her hair combed and like oil on her face, her face oil and always wanted to, she didn't want to wear the hospital gown. She always wanted to wear like her own little like t-shirt that was like cute. She, she was very vain. And toward the end, I could see her releasing that and going, I don't care what I look like. It doesn't matter if my hair is a mess. I don't care. But oddly enough, she looked like she was glowing, like very angelic and very, um, I don't know, just like she was almost out of this world. It was a, there was a definitely a, a glow about her that was a death glow. I don't know. Well, and I'm sure you know even more about this because of, you know, we'll get into your other podcast as well in a minute, but um, I, I've never been in a hospital room with somebody who's dying. And all I know of, I, Bob would always tell me the story of when his mom died that she had she had colon cancer and mm. she was in the hospital for a long time at the end. But those like last few days, she was, it was like she became the mom that I always wanted. She was, Gosh. you know, just, you know, any sort of, let's say, issues that they had ever had were just out the window. She was so pleasant to be mm. around. And she was just, he said she was, it was a beautiful death is what he called it. Oh. And she was just lovely and wonderful. And also very vain and would put on the lipstick like because she knew that like if John Stamos was coming to see her that day, she had to look good. Oh and like she was a day from dying and she's like putting on lipstick <laughs> in her in her deathbed. And um, but so that was he experienced yeah, that. Man. And he also experienced that with his sister when she died of scleroderma. That, you know, those last few days were just, you know, you feel like a special presence around and and also it's you give people permission, like, okay. It's time to go. Like right. you, you can go now. Absolutely. I can I ask you something? Yeah. So um you didn't get that sort of moment before passing with Bob and didn't get those conversations. And this might sound a little airy fairy. Do you feel like you've gotten any of that after his passing? Maybe from comforting feelings or thoughts or communication with him on the other side? Like, has there been anything that you've gotten that's felt like, oh, that that's the thing I can hold on to? Well, we were, what I did have was, and I'm very grateful for this, but I had zero, sorry, but like zero regret and zero, um, you know, like our last words to each other were, I love you, I love you, I love you. He's like, I'll be home tomorrow, honey. I can't wait to see you. I'm sorry, I mean, I cry all the time. You know how oh gosh, it is. This is what we do. Right. Um, Like I was just so, felt so grateful yeah. that there was nothing left unsaid. You know, like we weren't so in a fight beautiful. right before. We didn't have an argument. You know, it wasn't like some people, like that happens to a lot of people. They get in an argument with their spouse and then they are gone and they get in a car accident. And then they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that our Tragic. last words to each other weren't I love you. And Bob's last words to me, you know, were, um, I love you effortlessly and I can't wait to see you tomorrow. I'll be home, you know, early in the morning. And, you know, so it's like, I can look back at those texts and like we had a 
two hour call, maybe not two, almost two hours, like his whole way home to his hotel that night, talking about his, his gig that night and how, you know, he did two hours and 15 minutes, which he'd never done before. And it was the best show of his life. And he felt like a kid again. And he was just so happy. And so even though we had never had actual conversations about like one day when I die, like this is what's going to happen. Or like, this is like, we almost didn't need that because I never had any question about like his love for me. And I knew damn well that he didn't question my love for him either. So like, I felt very confident in that. And because I didn't have any, any regrets or any, um, God, I can't even think of the word right now besides regret like that. I Unlo- talk about all the time. Anything left unsaid. Yeah, like, like there was none of that for you too. Right. You know, there was nothing that I was like, oh God, I wish I would have done that differently or, you know, I hope his last moment, if he was thinking about me in that last moment that he wasn't like, you know, that it was a negative thought. Like I know that it would have been a positive yeah. thought. So like I was very, like that brought me a lot of comfort. Oh, I bet. Oh. You know? Thanks for sharing that. Oh my God, of course. Well, I can say that um, talking about this stuff frees up space within me to have other experiences, right? Because I think if you just don't talk about the grief, it kind of can fester and grow into something. Resentment, frustration, anger, like self-loathing. So the more I cry about this and have these conversations with you, I feel like I'm freeing up space in myself for joy. So I feel like you can't have joy without the sadness. They don't exist without. So when I get to feel this deep, deep sadness that you and I are going through right now together, it also increases my capacity for like ecstatic joy. So in the midst of the tears, I'm always like, well, I'm just making space for the good shit and for more pasta. It's so true because, you know, you can't have good without bad. You can't have short without tall. You Mm -hmm. can't have, you know, like you have to have the highs and the lows. And like, how do you appreciate the highs unless you've had the lows? And, you know, some people have had like a really, really charmed, perfect life their whole life. And like, how do they even really know what true happiness is unless you felt the hard stuff? You can't. I don't think you can. That's why sometimes just I think, I don't know. I think when you meet someone who's been through real, real trauma over and over again, childhood, adolescent trauma, and then they find such joy in like these little tiny things, you're like, I want to be like that. It's because... They've been through so much that they, they see these little moments of cracks of light where you're like, oh, this is this is the good stuff. Because you know what? The shitty stuff is around the corner and then the good stuff is around the corner and then the shitty stuff is around the corner again. And it doesn't it doesn't get easier as we get older. Like, I, I think why I connect with you so much <laughs> when I think about what you have gone through, like losing, I lost my father, tragic, but beautiful. I lost- See, that terrifies my, me. Oh God, it is, it is- they're, they tether you to this world in a way and then they leave and you're like, who am I? And it's a mess. And I lost Molly and that was a deep, losing my partner. Oh, I can't even talk about it. Yeah. So going through what you've gone through terrifies me. So I have this like admiration for what you've gone through because um, it's my biggest fear and that you're sitting here. How long here have you guys been together? Uh, 15 years. Okay. And he's my second marriage. So like, I feel like I, you know, Finally got it right. Like life, I got life right. And he just means, he's my, he's the person that, right. he's my soft spot. He softens me, makes me better. And I know that um, you guys had such a deep connection and um, that terrifies me to lose that. How did you, how do you find comfort after that? How do you even pick the shit up and put the clothes on and 
move forward with the day? Like, well, how? How did you do it? Well, I don't know if this is going to come out the right, right way, but, you know, Bob, yes, you know, he was my husband, of course. So it's a very special, deep, meaningful relationship. But we were in our lives for six years, mm-hmm. you know. So I had this long life before I ever met Bob. Yeah. So even though it is such a shock, I mean, that's why I'm saying I, for people who lose a spouse where they're like, we've been together 40 years and they have children together and this entire life together, that I'm like, you don't know anything before them. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where yeah. for me to go back to my life six years before, even though it was shocking because it was like the rug being ripped out from under me. Yeah. At least I had this foundation of like my family and my friends and stuff from before to where I was like, all right, at least I have these people to fall on. But then it, it almost doesn't even matter because Bob was such a big presence that he almost took up the I was entire say, life. Six years so, feel right, like 50. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's why, you know, that concept, it doesn't 100% hold water. I know what you mean, though. Um, but I found comfort so much comfort in his girls Mm. and his daughters gave me such a purpose to be strong and to be there for them and like I couldn't completely fall apart because I needed to be there for them so yeah my family his girls his friends Mm -hmm. even in many cases more than my own friends his friends were so comforting so nice to hear. yeah thanks for sharing all this i, yeah, I, I just love like well would it be everybody. weird if you came in a podcast and somebody's like i don't want to talk about that. <laughs> i don't want to talk about that <laughs> sorry, I, sorry I don't right I, I don't i don't like to talk about things but you're just such an open book and i love like you um are kind of coaching me through my fear of like what you know and i love that my husband's like why do you think i'm the one that's gonna die <laughs> yeah like, i don't know why You know, I talked to my Aunt Jackie the other day who is 82 and um, she's, you know, lost her husband. I actually was giving CPR to her husband (gasps) as he died. Oh, and the joke in the family is like, wow, you're really good at CPR, Nikki. (laughs) Like, shut up. Got a lot of practice with that? (laughs) Want to try that again? Maybe next time you should practice before you try to save someone's life. So he died while I was giving him CPR. So yeah, the family's always like, oh, that's traumatic. Jesus. I love it. 
great. So <laughs> when I talk to Aunt Jackie about like, I don't know what it's like to... How you couldn't save her husband <laughs> and it's all your fault. You want to hear the worst part of the story? Please. He was drinking a beer before he passed away. So um, I'm giving him CPR and I feel what I think is his breathing and starting to come back to life. And it's into my, into my face and it smells a little bit like beer. And I'm like, oh, and I go, he's breathing, he's breathing. It was his final exhale. And um, I told everybody that I thought he was breathing. Oh, he like he's fine. He oh, wait, never mind. Just kidding. Right. Horrible, horrible oh, story. I mean, look at us when I'm oh, laughing about right. it. But the joke is, no, don't ask Nikki to give you CPR because you're for sure going to die. So, okay. but well, when I let's, talk... Maybe we'll stop with the, <laughs> stop with the food because... Does anyone else in the room know CPR? <laughs> just, uh, or, oh, wait, CPR, the Heimlich. We need to just... Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm good at that. I'm okay. good at that. Okay. My dad's had to give my mom the Heimlich like Shut four up. times. Wait, to, what? Yeah. Why? She just, Does she have a hard just, time eating? No, she just doesn't pay attention. She eats things that are... God. She takes way too big of bites. He's literally had to give her the Heimlich multiple times. <laughs> and he's very good. He's had to give it to many... He's he's given the Heimlich like six times. Wait, that's not normal that your mom has needed it four times. At least three. Okay. Definitely three, but... We might have to have an inter- a chewing intervention. Like for you, I was always like, I, I only want to eat when my dad's around because <laughs> I'm like, if something happens, he's the guy to have around. So, I love this. Anyway. So my Aunt Jackie and I talk a lot about death and I've been recording my conversations with her. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm always podcasting. Yeah. I guess I don't know. But the things that she's saying is that when you get to the age where she is, where you've lost your husband... And you have your children and you're starting to lose your friends and you've lost your sisters and God. Then you just kind of are on this island of aloneness and you have these these grandchildren that are off living their own lives. But like I when I talk to her about it, she is without a doubt ready to die. Like ready, wants to go to sleep and wants to be done. And I just at eighty two? Eighty two, she's done. Is she healthy? Done. Somewhat. She she was a hairstyle a hairdresser her whole life so on her feet day and night worked really hard. She's used to being social. She's used to working. She's used to be like having a really full life, and she's just like this is miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. Wow, interesting perspective. Yeah, she's done because usually you hear that from somebody who's maybe very ill or has a horrible life or something yeah. like that. Because my mom's eighty two, and my mom okay. is, you know, all she wants to do is. I mean, she has two little grandkids now. And so she's so excited. But like all she she works full time and she just wants to like go out and party and drink margaritas and go to restaurants and travel. And she's just good for her. I mean, does not sound yeah. one iota different in her voice. Neither of my parents do actually from if you listen to them, like a home video of them yeah. from like 1982 and today, they sound exactly yes. the same. Wow. My mom still she it's all she and she says the secret to this. Is not chewing her food. <laughs> Shock us! If it wasn't for my dad, she would not still be here to tell these stories. What However, is her secret? I wouldn't. I'm dying. To she know says that it's all about how old you think you are. She mm. goes in my head. I'm still 30 years old. I love. Her. I'm still. A, I'm still a kid, and she has this zest for life where she's so just happy and positive and loves life and is. You know, she's had some because they're in real estate. So they had like, you know, when the real estate market crashed and things like that. But I mean, she's always been really successful and had this wonderful life. And then of course, losing Bob was very, very, very hard for, you know, everyone in my family. But she's, she's like, 
I'm not I'm not old. I don't look I mean she looks 50. She looks amazing. Oh like you would not think she's 82 and she just it's all a mindset. She goes it is 100% mindset. Interesting. Well, yeah. what's what's interesting about my aunt Jackie is that there's no regret. There's no wish I would She's like I'm good. I'm done. I did this. I'm, and you I'm kind of respect that too, you I know. I do. I kind yeah. of think it's amazing and I she's like everyone knows I love them. I'm not doing any of the things that I enjoy doing. She's a little confined with her body with some things and she's like I just yeah. I can't get around the way I used to and I just I'm good. Like I'm good. And I'm like, "Wow." I don't know. I just find it fascinating to have that open conversation about death with your favorite aunt. So you don't try to convince her like, "No, no. don't have this perspective." No. I think we the reason- want you here. I mean, I tell her, I'm like, life is so much better with you in it. But I I say to her, I kind of get it. And she's really um, open with me because I think um, she knows that I'll receive these conversations in the way where I don't say, like probably everybody else, you know, don't say that or you don't mean it. But I kind of think she does. And also like, there's, there's a beauty of doing things on your own terms, you know, waiting for, I don't know. There's just like, she's, she just, she's ready. And I don't think you get to make those choices. I mean, obviously you, you could make those choices, but if you say like, I'm ready to be done, does the universe hear that? Does whatever's on the other side listen and say, oh, she's, this one over here is ready. Let's, Possibly. I don't know. But then sometimes those are the people that live another 20 years. Right? <laughs> you know? Well, like Bob thought he was going to yeah, live till he, 119. Right. And he, he was like, I have so much more to do. Like, yeah. you better not take me. Mm. So, you know, that's... Once again, like we we don't know what's no. what can happen five minutes from now. I know, I know. Now you went through a weird thing where uh, you were grieving, mm-hmm. but let's say even before Molly died, you were preemptively grieving because you knew it was going to happen. Right. But yet you had to comfort her while yeah. she was still here. Right. But then, like, who was comforting you? Oh, you know, like, a, how are you a, being, <laughs> how are you being comforted while you're then having to comfort right. her? Or did you put aside your need for comfort because you had to be there for her? I, she was comforting to me. She definitely had moments, right, where she was able to say, this must be hard on you. And um, I'm going to miss you. And I can't imagine what, you know, those kinds of conversations we had. But my husband um, was really great at the time. And I had to, at the time, my stepdaughters were like little. So he was in full in dad mode. Like whenever I said, should I go to the hospital today? His answer was always yes, because he knew she was dying. I was a little bit in denial, which is weird because I'm such a truth seeker. I'm always like, what's the story? What's going on here? But for some reason, I really kind of was able to compartmentalize. But he was my soft space to land. He was, I would come home and he would just support me and be there and never give me a hard time for being gone so much for those four months straight. I mean, I think I paid for the entire Cedar sinai parking lot because I spent $25 a day on parking and I think they put an extension on the parking lot. I'm convinced that I personally paid for it because I spent so much money at that damn parking lot going every day to the hospital. I'm like, aren't there like free passes for people? Don't you have like a frequent flyer? There should be like a bereavement discount or Thank something, you. right? Like, hey, my friend's dying. Do I get like, like half wait, people off? People are dying. Like, <laughs> I don't get a discount? Like, no, I have to pay full price? Yeah, full price. Not fair. Um... But what, let's say then after she passed, what were some of the things that people did to comfort you and mm. things you did to comfort her family? Oh, her mom. Her mom and I would get on the phone and just talk about her, like just have conversations, just, just talk about her. And I would often um, send her mom photos of her, like that I found or that were old photos. And 
Not Just the ones you guys out. talk about in the podcast, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just making sure. You're sick. <laughs> I, mean, just, I mean, maybe she's like, I want to say Oh, I love you. Does the mom, um, did she listen to the podcast? She did, and she's part of it. <gasps> so when you get to the episode where I interview her mom, it's beautiful, and her mom is so amazing and willing to go there, right? Willing to help Molly tell her story no matter how it affected her. Um, so it was pretty powerful. But things that people would do for me, oh my God, that's, that. It's funny because I don't really have an answer to that. I don't know what was comforting. Okay, what didn't help? Oh my god. Um when I think when people would um purposefully kind of shut down to it and not ask the questions, like I always find um when you when you say to somebody like, oh, what are you going through? And you say, oh, you know, my best my best friend just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then they're like, so anyway, and they move on to something else. I always find that to be so hurtful versus someone who's like, what was her name? Where did she live? Tell me about her. What was her favorite food? What was it like when she died? What did she like? I would rather somebody go in deep than to just make it a flippant conversation. Do you feel that way at all? Yeah, and I feel like. I mean, for instance, with Bob, I love talking about Bob. I almost get upset if somebody doesn't, you know, if there's like a certain conversation, I'm like, wait, you're not going to talk about Bob? Like, right. I love talking about Bob. Like, and it's my whole thing is I want to, you know, share his legacy for forever. But um, I think part of it is also reading the room a little bit. Like if, yeah. if somebody says to me, um, you know, like something about, oh, husband, or I'll be like, oh, my, you know, my, my husband passed away last year. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's okay. Like it's, you know, I'm, you know, and it gives them the ability to then at least feel comfortable maybe with a follow-up question. Right, right, right. But if I was like, my husband passed away last year, you know, then they might be like, oh, <laughs> oh she, she doesn't, doesn't want to talk about, about it. it. Yeah. But, and, and so I kind of do that too with other people is, you know, there've been people in my life who have lost people close to them even recently. And you know, you can kind of just tell when they want to talk about it or not. Yes. And, you know, there's times where I feel like I should be asking more. Right. I should be checking in more. Like, I'll even be with them and be like, I feel like I should be asking about this because, you know, you just lost this person. But, and then if you bring up and they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Then, okay. I'm not going to dig deeper because right. they clearly don't want to talk about it. That brings it. up so a really good point. It's actually. like reading the yeah. room. Like, if you can kind of maybe push it a little bit. And then if there's resistance, then, then you know. pull back. I always like the question, do you, are you interested in talking about him right now? Cause I'd love to hear about him. But if you're not like just asking, like, yeah. do you, are you into talking about it? And I think people are like, Oh, either yes or no. Right. Um, and it, it's so funny when you said what brought me comfort and the obvious thing that I just thought of is I loved when I was grieving. I didn't really want to talk to anybody. I wasn't in the mood to talk unless it was on my terms. I loved when people dropped off food to my house. I loved when people dropped off like a bottle of wine and flowers and a, you know, a thing of pasta. That was like, I was like, oh, there's, there's my love language. Like, I was just going to say, is that your love language? Like gifts of, and acts of it, service it, type um, of thing? Food? Is that count? <laughs> just could <food>. be <laughs> under <laughs> gifts and acts of service, I guess. I think it was just, I think the idea of like, I don't need anything from you. I'm going to drop something off for you to make your life a little easier. And I'm thinking of you and I'm here when you need me because I is as personable and social and loving as I am. I like to grieve quietly by myself a little bit. So I think that 
that when you said what's comforting when people, but that's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. Like I loved being surrounded by people right? and I loved when people were in the house all the time. What wasn't helpful to me, which I'll throw out there because I want your opinion on this too, hmm. is unless you were literally my sister or like my best friend yeah. or one of Bob's girls or like one of his best, unless you were like close in the circle yeah, and you just texted me, hey, how are you doing today? I was like, oh God. Heavy. It's, it's no, a it wasn't even heavy. I was right. Right. I was like, yeah. you just gave me homework. Yeah. I don't want oh, yeah, homework. Exactly. <laughs> Please, I don't want to write an essay right now because I didn't want to write a generic like good. Like, right. so I would take the time to write to everyone, like, like, I'm like, oh now I have to describe my feelings today. Right. And it always felt like an assignment. That's and so true. I hated the homework unless it was, you know, Bob's girls, because I would ask them this. I was like, How are you doing today? And then you know, I knew always what the answer was, but I we needed to check in on each other like that. And they would give real answers like yeah. today fucking sucks and I hate everything. Yeah. You know, but like I wasn't going to say that to like a casual friend because then, you know, it's like when you meet people on the street and you're like, hey, how are you? If somebody's like, oh, well, not good today. <laughs> right. You'd be like, uh, I wasn't really asking. I was like <laughs> right. just being friendly, you know? Yeah, the last thing you want to do is take care of somebody else's feelings when you're grieving. And when someone right. says, how, how are you today? And then you're like, well, now I have to write an essay and explain. And But I think this really brings up a good point about grief and comfort. It's like everybody's, it's not a one size fits all and ask, ask people what they need, ask people what's comforting to them, ask them what they don't want. And yes, that conversation is difficult, but that sets you up then to be a better friend during the process. Right. And then I do a check-in, like, has anything changed? Like, it, it, how can I show up for you? Right? What do you need from me? Sometimes it's nice just to try to, like you said, read the room and just use your intuition. But I would be the one that would drop off because that's what I want. I would drop off pasta and flowers and you might be like, oh, I wanted to, why didn't you come in and lay in bed with me, right? Right. So I think that's a good conversation to have with, with people when they're losing or they've lost someone. No, it's so true. Just find out very specifically yeah. yes. what, you know, you know, like I, I know somebody who just lost somebody recently and, and you know, I, I've checked in and, and but I, I've specifically said, you know, whatever you need from me, let me know, but that it, but it has to come across as a non-empty promise because sometimes yes. people will be like, I'm here if you need anything. If you need anything, I'm here. But I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I know that you're, you know, maybe not wanting to talk about this very much, but like, if you need me, I'm here. Yeah. And like, just let me know what I can, like, let me know because I don't want to overstep, Yeah. but I want to help. A little bit of a dance. And then some people, some people don't know what they need. Oh, wow. This is such a good conversation. Oh, you I should know. really make a podcast. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. But speaking of podcasts, tell me about your most recent one because this is so interesting. Thank but like you. before we go, I really want to hear okay. about near death. I think, I think. More in death. Right. <laughs> I swear I'm fine. <laughs> I, I really mean it. <gasps> so when Molly was dying, um, she wanted some spiritual care. She just wanted some guidance and she's Jewish, but not religious at all. So, of course, she found a Christian chaplain to team up with, right? That makes sense. She was meeting all these um, religious people that were coming into her room. And she wasn't really gelling with any of them. And then when Reverend Peggy came in, she was like, oh, she's pretty and I love her lipstick. Let's talk. <laughs> right? That's really how it started. As one does pick a <laughs> chaplain, yes. So, Peggy really helped Molly pass gracefully, mindfully, how she wanted it to look. She prayed with her a lot, talked about the afterlife, what she thought was there. 
what Peggy was able to do was meet Molly where she was. And it wasn't about Christianity. It wasn't about Jesus or God. It was about what Molly needed in terms of her care. And Peggy stepped up in a way that was just, it was life-changing for Molly, really. It helped her pass so gracefully. So I was obsessed with Peggy. And Peggy and I became friends. And then a year after Molly passed, uh, Peggy and I had lunch. And I'm like, I want to help tell your story. Because you, you're in the business of helping people pass peacefully. She's like, girl, it ain't all peaceful. Sometimes it gets a little messy at the hospital. And I was like, tell me more. So Near Death is the new podcast. And there's um, season one is out. It's episodes one through 15. And it's Peggy and her stories of what it's like to help walk people home, as she calls it. Wow. And she's amazing and hilarious. And we drink martinis and we laugh and we tell ghost stories because she's got a wild life. She dates. She's a beautiful LA woman, but also works at a hospital and, and deals with death every single day. And the stories she that she shares are amazing. So that's the Near Death Podcast. And what I love is that it's an extension of Molly because Peggy, I met Peggy through Molly and I would have never been so brave to talk so much about death if it weren't for Molly. So and when Molly said, I want to be the center of your world to me once, she's like, well, I want to be the center of your world. And I'm like, well, I mean, I have a husband. And she's like, yeah, but I'm your soulmate. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you you definitely are my soulmate. And so when Molly and I start, when Molly was getting ready to pass away, she's like, no, I really am your soulmate. I'm going to haunt you for the rest of your life. And everything that you do is going to be about me. And I was like, bitch, I am doing every. <laughs> she is not lying because everything I do is... It all comes back to Molly and I love it. I love it because it feels so genuine and so real. So Peggy um, is is amazing and I think you would love near death if you love if you oh, love dying I'm, for sex. I'm very, very excited to listen to all of it. And well, I mean, God bless Peggy for the work that she does, because I know that cannot be easy. Yeah. But it's so funny now knowing you. And talking to you and listening to Dying for Sex, too, where it's like you take this tragically sad topic, in a sense, but make it light and funny that I'm sure near death has a similar tone where it's yeah. not as happy because you're a part of it. So right. you are going to bring that light <laughs> right. to it. Yeah. And that's Thank one you. of those podcasts that part of me is like, oh, you have to be in a certain mood to listen to something about death. But I'm like, no. I feel like I could listen to that at that any makes, time because oh, that good. would because you being a part of it, I know that it would bring that levity and that light to it to where well, it's not like you. okay, I have to be in a really right sad mood on a rainy day to listen to it. Right? You know? No, you're right, and I thank you for saying that because I think that's the uncomfortable conversations can still be light and funny, and yeah. I think uh, Peggy shares these beautiful stories that have happened, and some of them are tragic, some of them are like exorcism related, which I didn't know that shit happened at the hospital, right? I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, <laughs> I know. you know? Marriages, people wanting to get married before they die, people using the right to die. Um, and and when they have ALS and they decide they don't want to die painfully, yeah, so they... God bless I, them, yeah. And just, you know, people creating their own death parties, people talking, I mean, uh, these sort of spiritual things that happen in the hospital and um, ghosts. I had a death party. Death party. I had right? a divorce party. <laughs> It's kind of close. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, not like my, not Bob. I was right. married yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think there's a certain, um, there's a certain fear to think and talk about death. And I think a lot of the people that listened and loved the show near death responded by saying, yes, it wasn't always easy to listen to. Yes. There were some things that were like really emotional, but it kind of made me go, oh, I don't have to be so afraid to talk about this. And one thing 
that I took away from the Near Death podcast is to have these uncomfortable conversations. Talk about what you want your death to be like. It's very uncomfortable because I'm sure you don't want to think about your parents dying. None of us want to. But I've had this conversation with my mom now that I've lost my dad and Molly and I now know Peggy. I've been like, what do you want? What am I doing with your body? What kind of music? Where? And my Aunt Jackie. Yeah. I know what Aunt Jackie's funeral, exactly what she wants down to the songs, the flowers on the table. Like, I find it kind of empowering to have these uncomfortable conversations. And people have said, thank you for having these with Peggy because now I'm having these with my family. So it's kind of empowering. It's true. And I feel, I feel more comfortable now having lost Bob to, you know, that I have a little bit of armor on to be I able do. to get through a future one. That's the one thing that we are all going to go through, yeah. no matter how much money you make, where you live. Yet it's the one thing that we're all like, I don't want to talk about. We're all going to lose our loved ones and yeah. we're all going to die. Sorry, it's the truth. And, <laughs> and, you know, thank you for putting this out there like you have because it is so important. And it's so weird that it's like people don't like, you know, I mean, I get it. You don't want to talk about yeah. it, but it is an important conversation yeah. to have. And um, thank you for putting it out there like that in a way that, you know, makes people be like, all right, this, you know, we can have a little bit of fun while talking about this really sad thing. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for the delicious pasta and having me on your well, show. I you just for adore being you. here. You're stuck with me now. All right. Girl, well, I adore you know, you. I'm not complaining. <laughs> we can, we can have pasta dates and martini dates. I love it. In our near future. So I'm very excited. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Today we ate some delicious penny alla vodka in the studio. But if you want to make this dish at home, here's what you got to do. Add some oil into a hot pan with some finely diced onion. Once the onion cooks down a bit and becomes translucent, add some garlic and chili flakes and let that cook for a couple minutes. You don't want the garlic to burn, so be sure to keep an eye on it. Add some tomato paste and stir that in. Let it cook down for a couple more minutes so we get that nice earthy flavor. In the meantime, Boil some water with a lot of salt and cook your penne. When that's done, be sure to save some of your pasta water. Once everything in the pan is nice and combined, we're going to add some vodka. Let that vodka cook down. We want to cook out all of the alcohol so it doesn't taste like a cocktail. Then stir in some heavy cream, add your pasta, pasta water, and a whole bunch of Parmesan cheese, and you're ready to eat. If you didn't catch all that, be sure to check out a more detailed recipe in the show notes. Buon appetito, and see you next time. Comfort Food is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Acast. Our executive producers are Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, Leah Sutherland, and yours truly, Kelly Rizzo. Our audio producer is Chiara Nonni. Special thanks to Camila Goldenberg and Riley Alville Rink for production assistance. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Karismi. This podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Rizzo. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. 